Fear, it follows us as we walk, like a shadow seeking to overtake us. It can be paralyzing, crippling when fear sets in. Fear of failure, fear of loneliness, fear of danger, fear of the unknown. We are aware that fear is close by, but we know our God is even closer. He walks with us. He never leaves us. The most repeated command in the Bible is do not be afraid. God knows that we will face it every day, but he gives us the courage to keep moving. He fills us with the strength and peace to know that he is greater than any fear that would try to hinder us. And when the night is closing in, he is already here with us, telling us, fear not. Trinity Church, Todd Arnett here this morning on this 13th of September. It is great to be with you, and uh, I'm again, as we've talked earlier today, I hope that it's a great day no matter where you might be watching us from, whether it be on a laptop, whether it be in your living room, whatever environment that you're in today, we are grateful that you're joining us. And uh, some of you out in the pavilion, we're grateful for you out there as well. It's not too hot out this morning, so that's a big win. And uh, some will be joining us tonight under the lights as well. So we're just grateful for these different environments in which to join you. We are uh, finishing up a series today called Fear Not. And so if you have a Bible, if you'd open that to the very last book, the very end, Revelation chapter 1, if you want to find your way there. For some, for your notes as well, some of us are really beginning to use our app uh, a little bit more and more, and those are available, those notes to you right under the resources button. There's also a Bible app within our Trinity app, so you can follow along that way as, there as well. Now, I wanted you to know a couple cool things. First off, uh, that same app, uh, we have uh, the ability to kind of know how many people have downloaded the Trinity app, over 500 downloads have already happened on this app so far between uh, the Google Play Store and the App Store for uh, Mac products. We are so excited about that. And I just want you to know today, if you want to be like the cool kids, right? I mean, that's obviously the most important thing to all of us. Uh, then you can download the app as well. And just It's a great way to have just some things front and center available to you. If you're new to Trinity, it's a great way to navigate some of what we call our big rocks, the things that we think are just uh, most accessible, most available to you. And if you look on your app right now, if you go to the Connect page, about partway down is the Small Groups page, and below that are Rooted Groups. Rooted Groups begin this week, and uh, we have those for kind of mixed men and women. We have some just for women, and we have some that our home groups are engaging in as well right now in this next season that all begin this week. So we're excited about that and would love for you to join us if that's something that you've never done is the Rooted experience. Well, here's where we're at. We, um, we have been in this series and, and looking at a lot of things. Oh, before I forget, by the way, some of you have been asking me about even updates about where we're at with things financial uh, related to our church family. Just so you know, we don't have a Trinity this week where we used to post those on the back of um, that document at the first Sunday of every new month. But we do have our e-news that is going out all over uh, to so many homes. And so sign up for our e-news. There's a really easy way to do that at the top menu button on the website. There's just a field you would 
click there, sign up for eNews, and it'll give you everything else you need. But the first Wednesday of every month, we'll have financial updates there. So if you want to pay, pay attention to that and be informed, that's the best place to find out. I keep forgetting to mention that. I'm not going to forget today. All right, so we're in this series, this series called Fear Not, and um, we have been just kind of looking through all these great reminders of what God has said to us related to this most often uttered directive or command in Scripture is God saying, fear not. And where we began, we began a few weeks ago, and we were looking at God telling his people who were on their way, slaves leaving Egypt, being chased down by their pursuers right into the Red Sea, fear not. We saw that same group be miraculously rescued, and they would actually fall in the desert because of a lack of faith, because of fear, but it would be their children who would be a generation born in the wilderness that would be brought into the promised land by Joshua. And God told Joshua numerous times on the east side of the Jordan River before they go in, do not be afraid. Then we saw this same Hilke did a great job preaching about when Joshua experienced this incredibly morale-destroying defeat of this small town called Ai. God said there was sin in the camp. They dealt with it. And then again, God speaking to Joshua anew, do not be afraid. Then we saw a group of people who were in the land for generations as we looked in the book of Isaiah, and God had clearly told them in chapter 39, you are going to be overthrown. You have not been a people who have been for me, who have been in obedience to what my purposes for you are. I've warned you for generations, it's now going to happen. And yet God said in the midst of their sinking ship, do not be afraid, I'll be your shore. Last week, Bill did an amazing job looking at Luke chapter 12 and God telling a new people, people who have been brought back into the land, but yet in and under Roman rule, he told them, do not be afraid. God's going to provide the things that you need. This is Jesus speaking. And out of that, don't be afraid to give to others to meet their needs as a result of your confidence and faith in me. So today, we bring it to this last message in this series, and we're going to see this same Jesus, now the the risen and glorified Jesus, talking to John, exiled again out of the land on this island we're going to describe today called Patmos. And as he's there, it's this glorified Jesus who is going to tell John, we've saved the best for last. Do not be afraid. I hold the keys of death in Hades. I've conquered death you can be confident in me. So we're going to dive in. And what we've seen all throughout as I recount those other five narratives that we've been looking at, we're reminded once again that this do not be afraid is not some harsh backhanded knock it off, but it's coming from a father who deeply loves, deeply understands the fears of his children, and as a result wants to remind them because of who he is and because of whose they are. They need not be afraid. Here's where we're going today. This is our now what statement that will be kind of walking us through our time together. Because Jesus has assured you that he has defeated death, walk in confidence, and bring his influence to your world. That's our big idea. That's our now what statement. Let's kind of show what that's all about as we walk it out. Number one in your notes today, Jesus's death and resurrection defeated death. Jesus' death and resurrection defeated death. 
Look at where we're at. We're in Revelation chapter 1, and this is what Jesus, the glorified risen Jesus, is saying to John. When I, John taking this account, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. These are words from the very beginning of a fantastic, vivid book uh, that at the end of our Bibles known as Revelation. Now, I want to correct myself, and maybe some of us, we often call it Revelations. We put an S at the end, but very clearly in the title, it is the revelation given to John through different angelic messengers, as well as the book opens from the glorified Jesus himself. So it comes on great authority, the words that we're about to look at today. And part of what we're looking at as we begin in chapter 1 is Jesus himself appears to John in a vision, and he's beginning to share some things that he wants him to write down for people like us to read later. Maybe a little bit that'll provide some context is if we go back a few verses and we realize, why did John fall down as though dead? Well, let's take a look. We'll go back a little earlier in uh, Revelation chapter 1. Go back to verse 9. It says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He'd been exiled there because of the way that he had been demonstrating, the way he had been sharing the great news of the gospel. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. So this has definitely got some uh, volume to it, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, at Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like, the, like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a gold sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. I want you to try to be picturing in your mind what John saw. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Okay. So when we see that description, it's really pretty easy, at least now, if nothing else to know, why did John fall down as dead? Uh, You and I would have done the exact same thing. And like we said, don't just read over what we've just said. Let's internalize it. Let's try to get into these sandals of the apostle John exiled in this cave in Patmos. He hears this voice behind him. It's like a trumpet. It's loud with great volume. When he turns around, this is what he beholds. And and by the way, John is very old at this time, but you must remember, he walked with Jesus, the God-man, for three years. 
He saw the risen Jesus with his own eyes, but now he's seeing the glorified Jesus. This is decades later, and he is seeing Jesus in all this amazing splendor. A Jesus whose eyes are like blazing fire, feet that are uh, bronze, like glowing like a furnace, a voice that was like the rushing waters, so incredibly thunderous and loud. Out of his mouth, a sharp double-edged sword and face that shone like the brilliance of the sun. It's just powerful to stop and get a a mental image of what John turned around to behold. And and that's a Jesus, like we said, we would all fall down as dead in front of. And John, even though he had this amazing familiarity with his teacher, his rabbi, his Lord named Jesus, now he sees this new state and is absolutely blown away. The revelation of John takes place in what we were saying earlier on an island called Patmos. So Patmos is a small island off the southwestern, what is today, Turkish border. And you'll note the picture that I've included here not only has the island, but it has the seven churches that Jesus alluded to. You're going to write these things down, and you're going to send, you're going to give word to these seven churches. And this is basically the stuff of Revelation 2 and 3, are Jesus, Jesus specifically speaking to John, literally pen to paper, write these things down, and tell the church at Pergamum, tell the church at Laodicea, tell them these things. Now, this, uh, this little island off the coast, I had the incredible privilege 11 years ago to go on a study tour of Turkey, and we had a half day to go to the island of Patmos. Um, as we did, this is uh, a little bit of what we saw. And it's absolutely gorgeous. It's a Greek island. So though it's off the coast of Turkey, it's a Greek run, Greek um, under the Greek authority. And this is on the backside of the main port. You'll see cruise ships like that. The waters are absolutely beautiful. These white stuccoed buildings dot the countryside. That's probably not where John stayed when he was there. And though this is a great place for tourists for many reasons today, this was an isolated place, a place to exile Jesus followers like John that you didn't want to hear from anymore. And there's a good chance that he stayed in a cave up on the hillside. So this is now looking down into the island has a few different natural ports. This is the port that we would have come into and then walked up the hill. This, this is basically from the Greek Orthodox Church. This would be their best guess as to where this revelation happened in a cave that's probably been handed down for the last 2,000 years by way of tradition. We don't know for sure, and definitely this building wouldn't have been out in front. When you go through those doors, you go into a cave that looks like this, and obviously all of this religious artwork would not have been there as well in John's day. It's very ornate and very kind of over the top, but this is a place that kind of remembers what maybe this space was like, obviously not in literal sense, but at least the idea of John being in a cave when he received uh, this revelation. So this is the, the, the circumstances, the setting for where this revelation is received. In light of those details, listen to the first words of Jesus as he appears to his friend and overwhelmed disciple named John. Do not be afraid. Overwhelmed at the voice and the sight of who is in front of him, do not be afraid. And look at why he tells him why. 
Why? Because I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And, and I think John, trying to process all this as an old man, could remember those days of walking by the Sea of Galilee, of seeing Jesus do amazing miracles, even witnessing the resurrected Jesus, the, the scars in his hands and his side. But this is a whole different thing, and this is the glorified, victorious Jesus, the Jesus who had conquered death and absolutely won simple thing, what can you do to a guy who conquers death? And what we'll see today, not only conquered death for himself, but then this next phrase, conquered death for us. This statement that Jesus makes, I hold the keys of death and Hades. I hold the keys of death and Hades. Look in your notes. What's implicit when one possesses the keys to something is rightful ownership and control. What's implicit when someone owns the keys, has the keys to something, is rightful ownership and control. Just this last Thursday, a couple days ago, I got on a plane. I flew up to Sacramento, and all day Friday with Jackson and my daughters, Aaliyah and Kendi, uh, Sky has already been down starting her new job, but we were packing a U-Haul and all day long drove it down from Sacramento to our place for, for now. As Jackson just got hired at High Desert Church, the church that we had come from and uh, is going to be working in some various ways, but ultimately with young adults. And so we're very excited for him and Sky for that new opportunity. And, and what I was thinking about when I was preparing for this message was, was this really interesting thing. We have a, a, a U-Haul truck full of their stuff, but we can't get in the door to their new house. Why? Because they don't hold the keys. I don't have the keys yet. That's what they're waiting on. The, the loan settlement, everything just finally finishing up. All that has to be done because why? When they receive the keys, they will be the ones who are rightfully in control and rightfully owning <clears throat> that new house. So that's the illustration. That's what Jesus is saying. I have the keys. I have rightful ownership. I have rightful control <clears throat> over these two things. And look at what he says. Over death and over Hades. Jesus had the rightful control over death because he defeated it at the cross once for all. The Bible says that Jesus presented himself. God gave us the atoning sacrifice, turning away the wrath of God, sacrifice of Jesus at the cross. And as a result, that defeated death. But then this other word, Hades, is really important. Jesus has the keys to Hades. Hades would be a term that uh, John would have understood 2,000 years ago of the place where souls, the soul of every human being, goes when we die. So every human being would be in this kind of compartment, this place called Hades, awaiting what the Bible will say later in this book of Revelation, this great white throne judgment, where some will enter into paradise, they'll enter into heaven uh, forever and ever, not because of all the good things they've done, but because of the singular good thing Jesus has done on their behalf. And as a result of them putting their trust, their confidence, and what Jesus accomplished, their name has been written in the other book the Lamb's book of life. Yet at that same judgment for everyone whose name is not written in that book, they will depart to eternal torment. 
So this great white throne judgment is absolutely significant. And we read of only one of two options, one of two destinations. And so when Jesus says, I hold the keys to Hades, I hold the rightful control and ownership of your eternal soul. That's what he's saying when he says those words. So fear not. Fear not because I rightfully hold the keys to your future after you die. Who else could make such a claim? And yet if you put your faith in what I've accomplished for you, Jesus saying, then you can have confidence because of who I am and because of whose you are. Number two in your notes today, because death has been defeated, we need not live in fear anymore. Because death has been defeated, we need not live in fear anymore. In your Bibles, if you want to go over a couple chapters to Hebrews chapter 2, this is where we are. Hebrews 2 verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Let me say one thing before we go on to kind of walk this out a bit. I know as we're talking today, there might be some that are watching, listening, that you're struggling. And and you're struggling because we began the, the message today looking at a vision that a guy has in a cave on an island. And just now we read about a a, a spiritual being called the devil and, and not the one that you see running around at Halloween with these funny red horns. These are real things. And if you're someone who struggles with not being able to believe things that you can't empirically prove, I'm telling you today is going to be a challenge as you're seeing supernatural visions, spiritual beings, and we're talking about the idea that death has been conquered. None of those things would make sense to the the rational person alone. But I want to tell you, don't let go today. Don't, um, Don't leave us. Hang in there with us because what we're talking about at the end of the day, even if some of these ideas are challenging for you to process What I'd still want to say, what I know will grab your attention to keep with us is that we're talking about what Hebrews 2 says, your greatest fear, and something that's held your whole life in slavery, and that is death. So we skip over to Hebrews chapter 2, and we see these powerful words from the author of Hebrews related to um, what has actually happened. We see first the rationale of why Jesus had to put on skin and bones, why he had to become a human being like us, was that so he could break the power of him who holds the power of death. So the purpose of Jesus taking on flesh and then going to the cross and dying for sin was to break the power of him who holds the power of death. We see that in this passage in Hebrews 2 and where we just were in Revelation 1, Jesus was absolutely successful in that pursuit. That's what he came and did. But it's the last part of the passage that I want you to notice. And to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. I don't believe that it's going to be the best use of my time today to try to prove to you that we are by nature afraid of death. And that fear definitely is one that's not just cursory or surface, that's deep so much to the point that we're held in slavery by it. One way for sure that people use to cope with that reality, with that fear and slavery to death is simply trying to ignore it. 
just not wanting to think about it, shutting down conversations when it comes up, or doing everything they can to attempt to remain young so that they don't have to think that things are really going in a, a downward direction for their lives as far as their body goes. And let me be sure that I say to you today, by no means am I saying anything against those of you that are young at heart. I absolutely love senior adults who, quote, don't act their age and have this great zest and joy about life. That is amazing, and that's who I want to be as I continue to age. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about people who just absolutely refuse and do everything they can to avoid having to consider their own mortality. That's what I'm talking about. I actually had a paternal, my paternal grandmother was that way. Though she lived to a long life, she died at 93. I'll never forget as a child being very odd to me when she said, don't call me grandma, call me by my first name. And I was like seven years old and that seems so weird to me, but she said calling her grandma made her feel old. And so she wanted me to call her by her first name. Later on as a widow, she actually would hire a man to be her companion just to make her feel young. So this, my grandma was an interesting bird. So, uh, but I know people like that, not just limited to her, obviously, who try to do everything they can to not feel as though the reality of mortality is closing in. So this is what I do. I often am in a place of leadership or in a place of communication in the one place when people have to deal with the fact that they're not going to live forever. They have to deal with the fact that 10 out of 10 people die. Look in your notes. Funerals. Funerals are sobering reminders of our body's temporal nature. Terminal nature, I'm sorry. Funerals are sobering reminders of our body's terminal nature. So this is what I do. Every time that I lead a, a funeral or a memorial service, I think it's absolutely a significant opportunity because for so many of us, we refuse to consider the fact that we are going to die. We can refuse to consider to have to think about our own mortality, that there are these moments that are lucid, these vivid moments where I have to come face to face with the reality that there is going to be a gathering most likely where my friends and family come together, say nice things about me, and then go next door and eat sandwiches. That is just the way it is. And the Bible's very clear. It's appointed unto every man, every woman to die and then to face judgment. So that reality is something that is going to happen. And what I want to help them do while trying to avoid feeling this sense of being enslaved to death because of what Jesus has accomplished on their behalf, what he's accomplished on your behalf, you can face the reality of death and know the confidence that Jesus gives you provided that you're his. Throughout this series, every time I have spoken, I've quoted to you and read to you from Max Lucado's fearless book. And remember, like I said, for those of you who just think that's too big, like the front of the cover shows, that's too big of a leap. Actually, we'll walk over here. It's too big of a leap to consider. I've just said, well, the goal of this series is maybe not that you'd walk away fearless, but that you would at least fear less than when we started. That's been my hope. Listen to Max's words on this topic today. Aristotle was wrong. Death is not to be fear, feared. Sartre was mistaken. Your last moment is not your worst. The Greek itinerary was inaccurate. Charon won't ferry you into oblivion. 500 witnesses left a still resounding testimony 
it's safe to die. It's a reference to 1 Corinthians 15, where we'll be in just a minute. So let's die with faith. Let's allow the resurrection to sink into the fibers of our hearts and define the way we look at the grave. I love that line. Let it free those who were like slaves all their lives because of their fear of death. That's the verse we just looked at. Jesus grants courage for the final passage. He did for Charles Lindbergh, the first person to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean. When the pilot discovered that he had terminal cancer, he and his wife went to spend their final days at his Hawaiian home. He engaged a minister to conduct his last rites and wrote out these words to be read at his burial service. We commit the body of Charles A. Lindbergh to its final resting place, but his spirit we commit to Almighty God, knowing that death is but a new adventure in existence. What a great phrase, a new adventure in existence, and remembering how Jesus said upon the cross, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Death, a new adventure in existence. No need to dread it or ignore it, because of Christ you can face it. I absolutely love this book that we've been referencing. It would be a a great encouraging read if you are continuing to struggle with fear. And that line, that section is so powerful, talking about why we need not fear death. Simple question for you today. Are you afraid of death? Are you afraid of death? Are you so afraid of death that you recognize the words of Hebrews 2, that you do indeed live in slavery to it? If not, I hope that your confidence would be based on the fact that you have put your faith in what Jesus has done on your behalf, what he's done and accomplished for you, and that what you and I could never do for ourselves. There's no way. Think of every other human being who has gone to the grave. How are you going to be any different So it's nothing that you and I can do to deter that reality, that future on the fallen world, but it's everything that Jesus did on your behalf. If you would say yes, that you struggle with this understanding of death, this fear of death, this slavery to death, then I want you to hear in a crystal clear way today in this message that you need not fear it any longer. You need not fear it one iota more. There's no greater demonstration of love when someone lays down their life for someone to provide a sense of rescue. And I know that the movies are rich with those stories, but they all stole it from Jesus. This is what Jesus said. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. And Jesus is saying this in this upper room environment where literally hours from now he's going to the cross. So Jesus was the first. Jesus was the prototype. And what Jesus did didn't just do something for himself. Him defeating death was powerful in and of itself of what he did. But what it did is it represented what could happen for all of us. All of us who would put our faith in Jesus. I want you to hear this though clearly today. To be made aware of the sacrifice that, G- that someone has made on your behalf, not just anyone, but Jesus, the very Son of God, and yet to resist it, to choose not to respond to a substitutionary sacrifice in your place. I want you to hear this today. There's no greater demonstration of pride and arrogance. I say that today only because I love you. When we love people, we tell them hard things because we know it's best for them. But that's an incredible 
demonstration of self-sufficiency and pride. No, thank you, Jesus. I'll, I'll take care of it on my own. And so I want to tell you that truth. And if you have not yet responded to the invitation in the gospel, the invitation that Jesus extends to you even today, the great news is you can respond to it by A, admitting that you're a sinner who needs a savior, admitting that you are a part of this fallen, broken thing that by nature and by behavior, you would recognize that you have lived your life apart from God's design. B, believe. Believe that this Jesus that we're talking about today, this incredible glorified Jesus that appeared to John, he indeed, through his life, death, and resurrection, conquered death so that you wouldn't have to be enslaved to it. Conquered death so that you could be right with God the Father and be with him forever through eternity. Believe that there's no other savior than Jesus. See is choose. Choose today to say, God, I recognize my need for what only you can provide. I recognize what Jesus did in my place. And as a result, I don't want to any longer try to make myself good enough for you to somehow avoid the necessary reality of every human being. I simply want to trust what Jesus did for me. That's a decision you can make right here, right now. And I pray you wouldn't let another moment go by. Can I just say this? Uh, if there is a God who is trying to get your attention, in these last six months, is there any other way between the international fear of a pandemic, between the realities and the ripples of what we face in Southern California and beyond, the fact that the entire West Coast seems to be in flames, just driving down from Sacramento yesterday, there was about an hour of blue sky and the entire state is in the same smoke we are. What does God have to do to help you know that he is real and that you need him and that time is running out? The great news is, is once you've placed your confidence in Jesus, once you place your confidence in what he accomplished on your behalf, you can know, you can deeply trust that Jesus, your champion, has taken away the threat, the fear, the sting of death from you for good. Listen to these words. I told you a while ago we were going to look at 1 Corinthians 15. When the perishable has been clothed with the per imperishable when, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. Look at verse 57. But thanks be to God. God, thank you so much. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's finish today and look at the very next words that come after this passage in 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll finish up this way. Number three in your notes, Jesus conquering death provides your motivation for living for him. Jesus conquering death provides your motivation for living for him. Here are those next words from 1 Corinthians 15, the very last words of a chapter dedicated to the realities and the consequences of the resurrected Jesus. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 
I wanted to finish with these words today because as much as we should jump up and down and celebrate this great news that Jesus has defeated our greatest fear, I also want you to know today it moves us to action. It causes not only elation, not only joy, not only a deep sense of gratitude, but it moves us to action because he has left us here in the meantime. What we've said so many times at Trinity Church, whenever you see the word therefore, that's right, you got to ask what it's there for. And what Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians 15 is this summary statement in light of all these questions that the Corinthian Christians had about the resurrection and even some really bad uh, theology at that point. In light of all these things and this great news that Jesus has indeed secured the victory over your greatest fear, in light of all those things, do these things. Stand firm. The Greek phrase, the word that's translated to those words, means metaphorically those who are fixed in purpose. Let nothing move you. It means without movement or change of status, just steadfast. So be so confident of the death-defeating, victory-providing resurrection of Jesus that you are joined together in purpose and in status as those who are convinced that Jesus really is the victor and that his promise of your resurrection one day allows you to be free from the bonds of slavery today. There's another place in Paul's letter where he reminds his readers to stand together in unity and stand firm, but it's not against fear, but an actual enemy. I'm real excited. We will begin a new teaching series Uh, next Sunday on the 20th of September. It's called Armed, Standing Together in Spiritual Battle. And we will be looking in Ephesians 6 about these realities of indeed the spiritual battle that is around us. I want us to see that though we are seeing a lot of things with our eyes and hearing a lot of things with our ears, there is a spiritual reality, a spiritual dimension that we need to consistently be aware of and that we would realize that we would fight the true enemy and fight with the right weapons. So be, be there. Join us next week as we begin a brand new series called Armed. This next phrase, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. This phrase means to exceed, to go beyond expected measure, like above and beyond. Always give yourself, keep doing it, keep showing up with this kind of sense of giving myself to the work of the Lord. One of the most challenging ways that you can give yourself to the work of the Lord is continuing to be a person who loves and who prays and who's very intentional with your influence in the lives of people who have not yet responded to Jesus. That can be a really hard just uh, labor to continue at. And, And it's so important to us, though, at Trinity Church, it's one of our core values. This is what it says. Your calling is to influence your world with Jesus. We believe that for every single person who has been liberated from the fear of death, everyone who has become a part of the family of God, they have a calling on their lives to be a people of intentional Jesus influence. So part of our laboring in the Lord is definitely that aspect. And it can become so discouraging as you are loving these individuals, as you are praying for them, as you're being a person of intentional influence, and you don't see any change. You don't see any interest. There seems to be no response to this great news that has changed your everything. 
And yet I want to remind you today that only God can wake the dead. The Bible says clearly in Ephesians 2 that we are all born on arrival, spiritually dead. So as we wait for God to do his thing in their lives, we don't give up. We go above and beyond. We keep at it. And I want to encourage you today, if you feel discouraged, if you feel like there's no traction in people's lives who so desperately are afraid, are enslaved to the fear of death, I want to encourage you from these words of the Apostle Paul, don't give up. And he tells us why. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Even when we might be tempted to not know, to not be convinced that serving God by influencing others is meaningful, Paul reminds you today that you do know that you can be convinced that your intentional influence in their lives is never for nothing. We finish with our now what statement, because Jesus has assured you that he has defeated death, walk in confidence and bring his influence to your world. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today as a people who need to hear these words. Father, we need to be reminded in a time that is absolutely so fearful that you indeed are the one who's in control, that even in the midst of the things that cause us a great sense of unsettledness, a great sense of anxiety, God, you are on your throne. And and in these areas that might be, like we said today, the biggest concern, one that we try to ignore but is there, that we are afraid of death, you tell us we need not be because of what you've accomplished on our behalf. So, Father, for those today that are listening, that are viewing with us, that have put their faith in Jesus, would you again just reignite that sense of confidence? Would you once again give them a greater degree of faith And trust, God, that you indeed are the conqueror. You are the victor. They can entrust themselves fully to you. And for those watching today, if you would say, you know, I've never really made that decision. I haven't responded. I am rightly so afraid to death of death. I want to tell you great news. Like we said earlier today, you can admit, believe, and choose. And today, Jesus promises with no hesitation, with no classes to go through, with no hoops, can put your faith and confidence in him, and he, he will be the one who will be your champion, giving you victory now and throughout eternity. Father, we love you. As we sing these last words today, remind us again of the power of your resurrection and that we absolutely can walk in confidence because of it. We love you and we pray in the great, powerful, mighty name of Jesus. Amen.